this party started. This is Ghetto. Broadcasting live from the studios of AM570. It's on a website. This is FNA. Man, get out my way and watch out as I come. I am a god. Now what? Why don't you get out of that jumpsuit and let me smack that fat ass? <laughs> That's a scary crew. As far as the product goes. Uh, voice of a new generation, man. You guys are the young guys. Are really at the top of their games. The two of them had something in common. We bring you Radio Ecstasy. Oh, it's beautiful. Broadcasting live from the studios of AM570. FNA. FNA. Let it happen. This is the FNA Podcast. Yes, a Thursday edition of the FNA Podcast. As always, Kevin Figures and Adam Austin with you as always. Appreciate it. I think I said as always twice. But just in case y'all forgot, we still here. <laughs> Recognize. I'm going to throw that ass back Thursday. Yeah. I know you'll recognize this. Back when Juvenile was... nine to the 2000. good. 400 Degrees? Yeah, 400 Degrees was on that album. Okay. That was one of my favorite albums back in the day. So Lil yeah. Wayne didn't get that track. Juvenile. Juvenile and um, BG was on that. Oh, BG. You know, Lil Wayne was at the very end on the clean version of the track. On the actual album cut, he wasn't. It's really weird. It's normally the, the feature, the, the weird feature or whatever, is on the album version, not the radio. They flipped it around. Which artists got Bling Bling on their album from the Hot Boys? That was, wasn't, wasn't that their compilation album? I have no idea. I think that was their compilation album. I don't know if anybody had that individually. But I'm sure we have our own corrections and retractions department at, at FNA Show. Yeah, so I'm sure somebody will correct us on that. I got called out for saying E-40 was from Oaktown when he's mm. from Vallejo. Yeah. That didn't feel good. Yeah. Oh, that's the So it may have been one of their Hot Boys actual albums, which which I think they had two. What you need, girl, I need a Hot Boy. Right. Is that Or was it the opposite? Well, it was Hot Girl. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, they said, this, like, I need a Hot Girl, I need a Hot Boy, and it was like a back and forth thing on the track and all that. It was hot. How about you start talking about Dirty South again? Hot Boy. Who knows? I, don't, I have no idea. Throw uh, that ass back Thursday. Yes. And uh, TK Trinidad, as a matter of fact, coming up on the final segment, she might have something on, on rappers or Juvenile or Lil Wayne. We talked about Lil Wayne in uh, rap music last week, dropping his Carter 5 album, which I have yet to listen to. I listened to one track. What'd you think? Mona Lisa with Kendrick. And? I haven't heard it. Pretty good. Okay. In fact, I heard it last night at Staples Center at the Clippers game, too. They were playing it in the uh, pre pregame. Uh, over the loudspeakers. Okay. I was like, is this allowed here? Is this going to be bleeped out? This this track is pretty explicit. Was it pretty much, was it like a radio version of a pop song back in the day? And I told her, your mama. K-Day playing Hit Em Up just pretty good, doesn't right? work. <laughs> pretty good, isn't it? There's no reason to even try to do that. That's uh, like Jimmy Kimmel having fun with censorship or something. Oh, the unnecessary censorship, which was one of, <laughs> one of my favorite segments that he does on his show. But uh, TK from uh, TMZ, and she's not at Approx.com anymore, from TMZ. Oh. And, well, she has like 900 different jobs. It's very hard to keep up with. Lose one, pick up three more? Pretty much. Okay. Uh, still done at, after Buzz TV. I know she's still doing work over there, and she has like 50 other jobs, which I'm sure she'll bring up at some point in her segment at the end of the show of which we have entertainment news. So What's the one she that. does with X-Pac? Speaking of Pac. Yeah, Sean Waltman is his real name. It's called, you know, I forget the name of the podcast. She's going to kill me. I'm sure he prefers X-Pac over Sean Waltman. That's probably why he called himself <laughs> X-Pac. Tupac <laughs> Shakur. X-Pac. Sean Waltman. He used to be called Six-Pac, I believe. Uh, you know what? It's just called the Sean Waltman podcast, apparently. Waltman and Associates. 
It does sound like a like a law firm, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. One two three. I see X Pac one two three six zero podcast. You know, we'll clear it up with TK. She works for the damn show, so how about that? Right, we'll get the specifics with her. He had the sex tape of China. Remember that one? Oh, never saw it. No. Yeah. There's still time, I'm sure. But China. I'm Is sure that it's... okay to watch sex tapes with dead people? <laughs> sure, China. why not? Why not? She ain't going to complain about it. This is when she was most alive right here. That's, that's, that's not sexual. I'd say so. I have not seen it because I don't want to see that. But whatever yeah. you whatever you went to, yeah. I mean. A lot of people like the uh, the wrestler girls. What was the other? Trish Stratus? Oh, Trish was bad. Trish was. I, talked about, I brought up Trish a couple of weeks ago with TK because TK was trying to get her in studio for an interview. And I said, if you get her in studio, just don't forget to invite your boy. Bring her down this way. Yeah, I was just—I was a—I was, a, was a bit of a fan back in the day. Okay. The Lord is my I was shepherd. He's I a fan of her talents in the ring. Did she marry anyone from within the Worldwide Wrestling Association? What is this, 1971? <laughs> the Worldwide Wrestling Association? <laughs> That's Whatever what it used to be call called, it. by the way. It was called the WWWF way back in the day. The Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Okay. I think that's when Vince McMahon. Then McMahon's, the internet came out. Or like, yeah. Vince McMahon's father. Vince McMahon's father when he first owned the company. Then they dropped a W. You know, I guess one W was getting between them and their fans. Like the Diddy, the Puff, the Daddy, the P was getting between him and his friends or whatever he said back in the day when he changed his name. I do prefer the WWF to the WWE. Take it up with the World Wildlife Fund. Yeah. They're the ones that sued him over it, and they won. They just didn't want to deal with it, huh? I guess. I mean, you tell me what's more recognizable. When you hear WWF, even now, you thinking of the World Wildlife Fund or are you thinking of Stone Cold kicking his boss in the nuts? No one else even knew about this thing. I sure <laughs> we as hell were didn't. just watching wrestling back then. Exactly. But yeah. somehow they won out, and now we're stuck with the WWE. But something tells me WWE is doing fine. They're doing just fine for themselves. Even though I don't watch. I sure as hell don't even either. John Cena tried to ruin it. It seems to be quite a big deal. Yeah, he's very polarizing. Very polarizing. More hated than love now, but he's he embraces it actually. Which actually he comes off a lot better about it now. I think he got naked in that movie Trainwreck with LeBron James. Yeah, he was his ass was out. He was he was naked from behind. I, I thought need, I saw more than ass. I, I didn't need to see that. I didn't look that close. I, I missed don't know that part. Why? It's the only part that I saw when I turned it on when it was on HBO. <laughs> sure it was, Adam. He was in the bathroom taking a whiz. It happened to be the only part that you stumbled upon when you turned the movie on. No. It wasn't Mrs. Skin. Did, did you have to? Did you something? have to rewind it back and forth and do it in slow motion too? I mean, I don't, I don't know if that was necessary. Yeah, well, I did DVR it. <laughs> All right, so that's TK Trinidad coming up in the final segment of the show. She'll talk about shenanigans and things of that nature. What do we have coming up here in segment one, Adam? Uh, well, you know the Dodgers made it into the playoffs not just a, as a wild card. They won the division for the sixth straight. Season they're taking on the Atlanta Braves for the first time since 2013. First time the Braves have been back in the playoffs since 2013. Actually, they played the Dodgers back in '96 in the playoffs. Yep. Swept the Dodgers then, lost three-one in 2016, uh, or excuse me, in 2013. 2013. And the pitcher who pitched and lost, I don't know if he got tagged with the L. No, he didn't because they ended up winning the game even though he gave up like 12 runs. Hunjun Ryu <laughs> is going to get the start in game one against Atlanta this time around. Yes, redemption for him against a lineup of guys who are not even there. Yeah. Oh, I guess Freddie Weren't Freeman. Born. Freddie Freeman was still there, I think, back so then. So young. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Some of these guys, what is it, Acuna? What is he, 20 years old? 
kid was in high school, literally, when that happened. It was so long Maybe ago, we didn't even know how much of a choke artist Clayton Kershaw was. That's, That's right. how long it was. Didn't even acknowledge it Even though yet. I brought it up about the Phillies in 08 and 09, but everyone said, oh, he was so young then. Well, I've seen a lot of other pitchers pitch well when they were young, like Josh Beckett, and I think that molded him and followed him ever since. He hasn't been able to get that monkey off his back, even though a lot of people have said over the last couple of years, for some reason... He's been much better, even though his ERA went up in 2017, or no, in 2016. And last year, I think it stayed about the same. He's at 4.37 for his playoff ERA, Clayton Kershaw, which is almost double his career regular season ERA. People are saying he's better because he had better individual moments in bigger situations. He had a great start against the Cubs in the NLCS. He He had a great start in the World Series. Now, he had a horrible start in the World Series that could have cost him that series in Game 5. So the problem is people gloss over a lot of that sort of stuff, and they say, like, oh, don't look at the number. Just look at his performance. Like, it's all encompassing. I can't separate them all. The next start he had against the Cubs, he actually had one good start against the uh, Cardinals, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But people forgot about that. I think it's that moment against Washington where he came in and closed out the series in that Game 5 on the road. That was big for him. I understand that. But last year in the World Series... Game five, four-run lead in the fourth inning, and somehow he totally implodes. Uh, He had a three-run lead after that, too, by the way. Yeah. He had a four-run lead. The Dodgers (laughs) actually came back and gave him a three-run lead. I think Bellinger had a three-run home run. And he blew that too. That was the crazy thirteen to twelve game. That was when innings. That was when Dave Roberts put Brandon Morrow in. Uh, on like no day's rest on like three consecutive days or whatever it was, something right. Morrow had never done, and then he imploded. Puig golfed a home run over mm-hmm. left field, the left field wall yeah. in Houston. It's actually, that's one of the greatest game. playoff games, World Series games of all time. Extremely exciting, but the Dodgers were on the losing side. They had a chance to go up 3-2 with returning to L.A., and of course they ended up losing, mostly because of you Darvish in that series. Not their fault. Well, but they didn't help. We do have the skipper coming on. Oh, you know what? He's here. Phone's ringing, dude. Thank you, Donnie. Yeah, the wild card games are over, and now we get into series play. So we needed a guest who knows how to manage with a sense of urgency this time of the year. Someone who's had to make the tough calls in high leverage situations when jobs are on the line. And someone with a slow pulse and a quick mind who's been trusted to know when to take the ball out of a starter's hand when he's hit the wall. That tells you it's not Don Mattingly or Dusty Baker on the phone. No, we have the skipper, Kevin Kennedy, Mr. Baseball, with a stash fuller than Tom Selleck's and a baseball mind that is unmatched even by StatCast broadcasters. Those computers get their microchips melted when they try to match wits with the skipper. Some call him the high priest of baseball, but we say he's the ascended archangel because he's always looking out for the fans. It's my favorite analyst, period. Any sport, anytime, anywhere. It's Kevin Kennedy back on the FNA podcast. Skipper, save me before I run out of breath. How we doing? Uh, Adam. Kevin, great to talk to you again, man. It, uh, gets, the intros get better. Are, are, we, are we done? Is it over? Hey, the interview? For now. That <laughs> <laughs> no, no, was great. I appreciate the uh, the accolades. That's very nice of you. Well, thanks Thank so you. much for coming on. Our audience loves you, as does everyone here at AM570 LA Sports. Uh, yesterday, the news comes out that Hunjun Ryu is getting the start in Game 1. Kershaw's going in Game 2. Do you like that move by Dave Roberts and the front office? Is that the way you would go with it? I actually do like that because Ryu has been uh, dominating since he's come back from his injury in the you know, post-All-Star break. Um, 
And, you know, he gets right, lefties in, righties out. He's got the great changeup working right now that he'll throw to righties. He'll neutralize those guys. And on the lefties, he's throwing that cutter a lot more. Uh, maybe not as many sliders. And he's got his fastball command working on both sides of the plate. So, you know, it's basically a four-pitch mix, fastball, curveball, cutter, a little bit of a, and a great changeup, an occasional slider. So, I mean, he's he's got it all. Um, but. More than anything, he's got great command. He's got a great feel for pitching. So, you know, it's his day. Um, you don't want him sitting too long. Kershaw has been good, but Clayton's a different pitcher these days. Clayton's showing more cutters than ever before. You know, his fastball velocity is, is averaging around 90, 91, where it used to be 94, which doesn't mean he's not a great pitcher. He still is. Um, but I think it, it works out because I think you feel confident with both guys. Um all that means is that Kershaw won't pitch, you know, um, they're going to use a four-man uh, rotation in this best of five is what I heard them say anyway from the front office and Dave Roberts said that on an interview. So that being said, that means Kershaw wouldn't go twice anyway in this series. So it makes a lot of sense to me to go the way they're going right now. That would shake a lot of people, the fact that Kershaw wouldn't go twice in the series, considering, I guess, just by title, salary, his longevity, how great he's been, you would think he's their ace. I know Dave Roberts said last week that Walker Bueller is their best pitcher. I think the numbers and the performance bear that out. I guess my question to you, Skip, is if you did have one game to win in a big situation in the postseason, what Dodger pitcher are you running out there? Is it Walker Bueller? Is it still Clayton Kershaw? I, I think you saw it. I think we saw it on uh, against the Rockies on Monday. It's Walker Bueller right now. It's because he's so dominant. The guy's virtually unhittable. It reminds me of when Pedro Martinez was coming up in the minor leagues, and I had him for six games when he came up from Double A, and about three nine innings uh, pitched for me in Triple A my last year, which was '91 with the Dodgers at that particular time, and he was just dominant. And uh, I'd seen him, of course, in instructional league. I'd seen him before, but that's what Walker Bueller reminds me of is the next dominant Dodgers, uh, great Dodger prospect. And I mean dominance from a uh, power standpoint. You know, Oral Hershiser was a great pitcher and phenomenal in 88. But Oral wasn't a guy through 99. He just had a great curveball, great sinker, and he, he just knew how to pitch and could, could beat you dominate that way. Um, Pater was dominant because he threw 99 miles an hour like Bueller did, and he had a great changeup, great curveball. And later, later, a little bit of a slider slash cutter. Um, Ramon Martinez was a great power pitcher that came up, two pitch pitcher through 98, 99. I had him in double A and, and in triple A. And, you know, he was a 20 game winner for the Dodgers. So, but Bueller reminds me of the, that era, of those guys, of the next great Dodger pitcher that's going to be there a long time. Kershaw was never a guy through 98-99. He averaged 94-95, which was great when he came up. But he had the best slider when he developed that pitch in baseball and then the best overhand curveball in baseball and the best command in baseball. He still has the great command. But right now, um, I agree with Dave Roberts. I think if you had one game, that's why they did what they did. They had Rich Hill pitch on Sunday against the depleted you know, giant ball club lineup anyway, and they had uh, Bueller for a game which they anticipated probably happening, especially when Scherzer was not going to pitch against the Rockies on that Sunday. So, yeah, I would go I would go Bueller right now. And, you know, the way Dave uses the bullpen anyway, he's going to have to manage again like he did in the regular season. You don't have all those options. So it's really going to be tougher on uh, on guys that had all those bullpen guys. All the, all the guys in the playoffs that had the big rosters. It's going to be different now. 
It's the skipper, Kevin Kennedy, joining us here on the FNA podcast. In talking about Clayton Kershaw, at this time of the year, we always say, is it going to be his time in the playoffs? He's never had great success. His ERA is 4.37, and now his stuff isn't as good with the fastball skipper. So I'm wondering, it seems counterintuitive, but maybe him simplifying things because he's not the pitcher he was, could that make him more deadly or make him have a little bit more success somehow in the playoffs? Is that possible? Yeah, I think because maybe the expectations, I mean, the expectations are still there for him to do great. But it's not like it was when he first was in the playoffs against the Cardinals years ago, and you know, facing Michael Waka, who, who happened to beat the Dodgers twice that year. And he's had that problem in the sixth and seventh inning, you know, getting through that. Um, it's different now because the talk's been so much about Bueller, and really a lot of, there's a lot of talk about Ryu around Major League Baseball, how unhittable he's been. So I think it actually takes a little bit of pressure off Clayton Kershaw. Now, it doesn't, it's not going to change the way he goes about his business. He, he's the best pitcher still in baseball in most people's minds uh, overall. But in the playoffs, you're right, it hasn't been great for him over the years. And maybe it takes a little bit of a, a pressure off of him. Like, well, you know what? If people aren't expecting me to do great, uh, I might just surprise you. And he could be a little bit of a sleeper. He is a different pitcher because he doesn't throw as many – sliders, pure sliders, he throws a lot of cutters, and if you look at the stats on the different websites, Brooks Baseball, etc., it'll say slider, 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 it doesn't really say cutter, but he does throw a cutter. He throws a backdoor cutter to righties now, he throws cutters into righties. The pitch that he's developed more and more the last year, year and a half, he still throws the slider, but combined with those two pitches, you'll see that he throws more of those pitches than he does actually his four-seam fastball. And then, of course, he's always had the great curve. But I noticed his last start, he didn't throw many curveballs in his last start. He threw an awful lot of cutters and, and, a, and a lot of fastballs. And those, are, those have really have been his two main pitches here recently. Skip, someone else who has had their issues in the postseason is Pedro Baez. He's pitched exceptionally well these last this last month and a half or so. I believe his ERA is well under one. But considering he has had some playoff struggles, does that uh, does the Dodgers organization maybe think a little twice about the type of situations they put him in in the postseason, considering how he has struggled in the past? Or do they feel that he can keep this consistency rolling as the higher leverage situations get and the pressure gets higher and higher here in the playoffs? Well, I, again, because the bullpens are now reduced, um, it's 13 and uh, 12. There's 12 men on the pitching staff, 13 on the roster as far as everyday players. So you still got 12 guys. And that includes maybe even Rich Hill if they needed him coming out of the bullpen. But you know, apparently he would go game four should there be a game four. But um, you got to win the first couple of games first before you worry about that. Um, so there's still a lot of guys down there, but they're just not 15 or 16. But Pedro Baez has gained more responsibility as far as high leverage situations down the stretch where they were in a lot of must-win games, which can actually help the Dodgers because the Rockies, of course, went on that eight-game winning streak after they got swept at Dodger Stadium. And after being two and a half back after they left Dodger Stadium a couple weeks ago, they, they actually had a game lead on the Dodgers. And so the Dodgers had to win every game. And um, they ended up, you know, going into San Francisco. You expected them to win those games, but you still have to play the games. And, and they did win them. And in that second game, the Giants battled pretty hard, and it, it became dicey there at the end until they opened the game up late in the game. So I think that actually helped guys like Baez because those games that he was being brought into, those were high-leverage situations. And so those are game-like, uh, playoff-like experiences in the last couple of weeks of the season for the Dodgers different than a year ago where the division was over by August. So 
I think that can help guys. And the fact that he's been through it before now, um, I'd be surprised if he doesn't do well. I'm not going to say it's going to be automatic because you're facing better teams, better hitting teams in the playoffs. But, yeah, I think there's a trust factor now bringing Baez in because, number one, the fastball has always been good. It's just been a matter of command. But, but he has that slider and that changeup. The changeup so much better this year than it ever has been, especially when Grandal catches. He calls that changeup a lot in hitters' counts, where before in hitters' counts, Baez would throw the fastball. Now the Braves hitters are going to have to worry about a changeup and a 2-1 count, something like that. And uh, everybody loves the fastball and hitters' counts. And uh, if, if Baez is pitched like he's been pitching, you're going to see that pitch be an effective pitch for him besides the 98 fastball. Kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, because Baez had his issues in the past, but is pitching great now. Kenley Jansen has been great in the past, but isn't pitching well at the moment since coming back from the heart issue. What are you seeing with him out there on the mound, Skipper? Is it something mechanical? Is it confidence? What's going on with Kenley Jansen, and how would you use him right now? Is it too high leverage of a situation to run him out there if it's a close game in the ninth against the Atlanta Braves? Are we going to see somebody else? else to start things off with maybe closing in the playoffs for the Dodgers Kenley um, for the ninth inning I don't know if they'll use him as much for a four out save I guess we'll find out uh, today should the game be close and the Dodgers have a one run lead but um, the cutter hasn't been as consistent the command of the cutter hasn't been as consistent and what I noticed way back before the all-star break when I worked a couple of games in San Diego is that he started throwing more high fastballs, high cutters, something that, uh, you know, around Major League Baseball catchers like to call the high fastball today and go north and south with the pitches. Well, Kenley's never been a high fastball pitcher. He's been that cutter, 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 and occasionally the two-seamer that's 97. People think that 97 is a four-seamer. It's actually a two-seam fastball. They'll throw into righties when they're looking cutter middle away or uh, away from lefties when they're looking cutter in. That, that 97 fastball that he does throw once in a while, that's a two-seamer. And he, he does that to get some movement uh, going into the right-handed hitter instead of away from the right-handed hitter. But some of the home runs you've seen lately have been cutters that have been mistakes that have run out over the plate and actually cut a little bit too much. So lately the cutter hasn't been that late-breaking cutter where at the last moment it, it just has that little movement, four or five inches, and it misses the barrel. And hitters are seeing that pitch a lot sooner, and the break has been bigger. And then and it, he'll do that, and then all of a sudden he'll throw two or three in a row that are like they were in the past. And then he'll throw another that are a couple of, that are bigger, the bigger break, and the hitters read that. So that's been the issue. It's just been inconsistency. It's not so much the stuff. Um, and I don't think it's so much the delivery right now. Confidence does come into play. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I think part of it for me is um, keep him in the motion where he's going down away with the cutter or da- or into the cutter with the, r- the lefties or away from righties. And I wouldn't throw so many high fastballs because I think that's what gets him out of his delivery. And, Adam, that's where the mechanics, I do think, come into play and he gets out of sync a little bit. Skip, we always hear about experience versus youth and ignorance when it comes to matchups like this in the playoffs. Of course, you have the Dodgers. They've made it to the World Series. They've won six straight championships in the NL West, while the Braves are young and weren't expected to even be here at this point in time. And it doesn't always work out where the most experienced team wins. I remember about a decade ago, a young Tigers team knocked out a great Yankee lineup. I remember the Rays. Remember, they had that run and went to the World Series, and they came out of nowhere. How much of a difference does experience in the postseason really matter, in your opinion, when it comes to matchups like this? I think it comes into play. I think it helps. 
But if you've got young players like Ronald Acuna, who's you know going to be one of the best players in baseball in the next couple of years, uh, and most likely the rookie of the year, and you got Albies, guys like that, with the ability he has to hit the ball out of the ballpark for both sides of the plate, good second baseman, good base dude. Then you got a couple of nice veterans in there, and Freddie Freeman and Nick Marcakis. Uh, then you got a manager that's been through it at all different levels, a lot of experience, uh, every 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 facet of the organization for their manager. I think that helps a lot too. So I think they're going to be okay. I don't think that's going to be as much of a factor. Um, but the experience of the Dodgers does come into play because they've been through it before, and you saw the Dodgers do that against Colorado. And I think. I think with Marquez, for example, on Monday, um, he made a couple of mistakes, and he, it cost him. You can't make mistakes against the Dodgers. They're going to take you out of the ballpark. You can't throw fastballs and hitters counts to the Dodgers. They're going to take you out of the ballpark. So Fulton Evich really is the key for them as far as uh, the Braves trying to win this series. He's their go-to guy. He's their main guy. He throws hard. He's got great stuff. He's got a good slider. But if he throws fastballs and hitters counts to Muncie or, or Bellinger or any of the Dodgers, for that matter, They'll be ready for 98. They're not worried about 98 miles an hour. It's the secondary stuff. If the secondary stuff is on, then, you know, anybody can have a good game against a good good fastball hitting team. And on the flip side for the hitters, um, that's the same thing. If um, Ryu, see, Ryu's dangerous to them because he's going to throw his changeup a lot. And I think those young hitters are going to look be looking fastball. And um, I think it's going to affect them. I don't know if they'll make the adjustment. I think guys like Marquez and Freeman, who where lefties don't bother them so much, they'll expect to change up and look for it. And even though you go over your scatter reports and say he's going to throw that change up a lot, as a hitter, you're always still looking for that fastball. You don't want to get beat on a fastball. And that's where Ryu is tough. He really fools hitters because he changes speed so well. So I think for the younger hitters for the Braves, that's what may come into play in this game today, especially against a guy like Ryu. Skipper, much has been made of teams utilizing the long ball the past couple years. The Dodgers were second in home runs this year. Some fans don't like it. Some purists don't like it. How do you feel about the shift in philosophy and where the game's going? And does that transfer? Does that play well in the playoffs where you're going with more of a feast or famine uh, like philosophy like the Dodgers have had? Or are they going to have to play some small ball here? Well, I think feast or famine is tough in the playoffs because uh, you're facing the better pitchers in, in Major League Baseball. That's how most teams got there because of their pitching. Colorado will tell you, for example, they got there because of their pitching, and it's true. If Freeland didn't, Freeland didn't pitch the way he did this year for them, they're not in the postseason right now. And even on the uh, wildcard game, he shut down the Cubs lineup that's pretty decent because he threw a lot of cutters in. He threw some cutters away. He had a pretty good fastball. He went north and south and east and west and stuff. And he saw the command that he had of his stuff, and he just kept the hitters off balance. So it's really more about, to me, in the postseason, not about big swings. It's about shorter swings and more contact and being more like Justin Turner because he knows he's not going to get, you know, good pitches to hit intentionally over the heart of the plate. And so he's going to have to use the field and go the other way. But the longer your swing gets, uh, the easier it is for good pitches to get you out. So I think that's where Bellinger actually made an adjustment here this year. I think that's where Jack Peterson made an adjustment. You know, you look at some of his home runs recently, uh, leading off a ball game on high fastballs. Teams try to go high fastballs up and in. He's not using a launch angle to hit those home runs. He's getting on top of those. Like we used to talk about the old – Tomahawk swing, he's getting down and through the ball. It doesn't mean your angle still isn't reversing the ball from a, a six or seven degree angle where the pitch comes from. 
It's just that he's not uppercutting to get the ball out of the ballpark. He's getting through the ball because if he has an uppercut on a high fastball, then it's a swing and a miss. Same thing with Bellinger. So I think the Dodger hitters have made some adjustments. And it's not purely just launching, leaning back and launching. Munchie's the same way. On that pitch the other day against Marquez away, he didn't uppercut that pitch. If he uppercut that pitch, he would have struck out. He got through that pitch and hit it out opposite field. So I believe you got to have some small ball. You've got to, once in a while, even play a bunt or a hit and run, which you don't see anymore. Uh, I'm not against the shift, but I don't like to see overshift with men on base, which I see some teams like Milwaukee. They still overship with men on base, and I think that can cost them because there's more hitters that are making adjustments now and taking advantage of that shift, especially in tight games and especially in playoff games. You're going to see veteran hitters take advantage of the hole and, and say, you know what, we need base runners. I'll take the base hit. At Kevin Kennedy MLB is where you can find him on Twitter. Former Major League Manager, current MLB analyst, and current friend of the FNA podcast, that's for damn sure. Skip, we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. We know you have a lot of stuff going on, so thanks for yeah. spending time with little old us on the FNA podcast. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Keep going strong. Good stuff. Present friend, hopefully a future friend, too. That's right. <laughs> hopefully we'll have him on again during this Dodgers playoff run as we expect them to go deep yes. into the night, into, <laughs> into playoff baseball. I do got him winning in four in this series. But it's an interesting contrast to styles because the Braves don't give up a lot of home runs. So, and piggybacking off of some of what Kevin Kennedy was talking about, I think the Dodgers are going to have to play a little bit more small ball if they want to get it done. You would hope. You saw what the Cubs tried to do in that wild card game, swinging for the fences. How to work out for them? Yeah. Uh, not much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 949-478-1197 is the number. We have two voicemails to get to before we give away this Spider-Man game. Let's take a listen. Hey, guys. This is what's up with the Ryder Cup. And... Quite frankly, if you get your shit kicked every single time you play just about, and even if it's like a, I don't know, an 80% clip, which it sounds, it seems like it is now, you don't want to care. You don't want to do anything to get a win back. And yeah, they finished well in 2016. But heck, they made the golf course easy. They put the pins in the middle. Birdies flying everywhere. This golf course was... You hit it in the water, you're losing the hole. You hit it in the high rough, you're losing the hole. And and it, it all started back in the day when U.S. would play Great Britain and Ireland. We would use that all the time. Jack Nicholas said, you ought to include all of Europe to play. So they did it. Then that's when the emergence of Seville, Bryce Carroll came up, Ian Woosnam, uh, Bernard Langer, a bunch of those guys, Sandy Lyle, a bunch of those guys. They call them the, I don't know, the Fantastic Fox. I can't remember what they call them. But um, that's when they started to win majors in the U.S. Oh, next caller. I'm sorry, Tori. That good insights on the Ryder Cup. I understand. We talked about this a little bit earlier this week about how they got their ass kicked all the time, and you know they just aren't that good. And yeah. maybe you want to be motivated, but again, it's an individual sport. I really don't know how much these individual players care about the Ryder Cup. I still stand by that notion. So we'll see. There is a a me and team. <laughs> yes. There is that. This is true. You're absolutely right, Adam. All right. We got uh, one more to go. Let's see what we got. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Fabian. I just want to touch on a couple things. One is the Raiders finally won a game. I'm very excited. My Yay. prayers were answered. We beat the Browns. Yay. Dodgers won the West. So this has been a pretty good couple of days. For my uh, my favorite teams, the Lakers and Clippers got started. 
One thing that's going kind of underreported is Ralph Lawler's going to retire at the end of the year. Man, he's been, you know, iconic, you know, just not quite on par with Scully and Chick Hearn, but, you know, just because of the success of the franchise or lack thereof. But, you know, he's been a staple, man. His catchphrases have been there forever. So shout out to him. Also, speaking of retirement, I always said I would consider myself old after everybody in MLB, NBA, et cetera. Um, was older, was younger than I am. So, Seabass hit a game-winning field goal the other day. So, I'm still, I'm still young, man. There's still a couple guys. I'm 36. Um, I wonder if it's true with music. Do you guys listen to artists that are all younger than you, or are they all older than you? Just curious about that. And uh, I guess that's it for now. Um, I'll talk to you guys later, man. Have a good one. Thank you, Fabian. I uh, do listen to a lot of old music. Or the artists were older than me. I like to think it's a mix of both, to be honest. I listen to some younger artists. But the late great Mac Miller was younger than me. True. True. Um so Yeah, we're all Biggie's younger, younger than some kickers still. Biggie is younger than me now when he died, but I listen to him now, so he's technically older than me. Baby, baby, but I baby. listen to like the twenty one year old him rapping and I'm not twenty Yes. To answer your question. Hey, the Brewers haven't won S, and everybody knows that Bob Euchre is amazing. Well, they've won the best uniforms of all time when they wear the pinstripe and the light blue. Point yellow. being, Ralph Lawler is amazing. It's not his fault the Clippers, as a team, have struggled throughout their most of their existence. He was a, he was excellent. Makes him even greater. He's Probably. been holding up this franchise like he holds up his microphone. Got that. He has the and he has that giant swole arm to show for it, which at, is pretty good. At media day, Patrick Beverly put it best. Oh, Ralph's the G damn goat. That's right. And he, he is. He is. That's right. So, yes, it's his swan song for the Clippers this year. Been lucky to work with him. Saw him last night. Ralph's the best. Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately. Win we, it for Ralph. We were able to speak with TK, but we had some technical issues, so we weren't able to actually have the audio to provide for you guys on the show. Son of a bitch. We're sorry. Uh, and sorry to TK for that as well. But still follow her at TK Trinidad. Watch her on TMZ. Watch her. Uh, you can imagine. It was a pretty great conversation. Oh, it was amazing. Let me tell you. Man, the stuff y'all missed. Woo. Woo. It was something good. Yeah. Who wins? Adam, who wins the game? Quickly. Uh, well, Baby I want to give it to no one until oh. next week, to be honest. Your rules. Can we get some more calls next cool. week? Cool. Let's let's roll it over. So no I'm not saying these were terrible, but I need more than two people calling. No winner this week. So we'll roll it over, AT&T a chance, style. A chance to win. Spider-Man from PS4 comes up in next week's edition of the FNA Podcast. Uh, FNAPodcast.com, Amazon banner. Click on it before you buy stuff. Do that. Uh, RipTheParrow.com, FNA promo code, 10% off anything that you purchase. At FNA Show, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. At KFig1 on Twitter. At, at follow Adam A on Twitter. At Kevin Kennedy MLB. Exactly. Thank you, Kevin. And thank you all for listening. We will talk to you next week. Enjoy your weekend. This has been another edition of the FNA Podcast. I want to thank everybody from calling us, uh, except for those of you that interrupted the show with your rudeness.